Father, we thank you so much for every opportunity we have to be together. I thank you for your church that is rising like a sleeping giant across this earth. God, I thank you for the, just the outpouring of your spirit. I thank you for answered prayer. I thank you for the journey that we're on. I thank you for every stage. I thank you for every marker. And God, I thank you for this day. I thank you for this particular congregation. I thank you that you know everybody in this room, that you know what we need before we ask you. I thank you that you know us better than we know ourselves. And today as we get in your word, your, which is your voice in print, I ask Holy Ghost that you would touch us, that you would speak to us afresh, that we would leave here having been changed by you in Jesus' mighty name. And everybody said, Amen. Amen. Are you ready to get in the Word? If you can turn to the book of Numbers, please. Book of Numbers, Numbers 33 and verse 1. I'm going to go fast today because I don't have a lot of time. So um, I've got about uh, 20, 32 minutes. So I'm going to go fast and we're going to pack a lot in the next 32 minutes. Is that okay? So engage. I'm going to go fast. I'm going to speak fast. You could listen to it on a podcast, and then you can play at half speed, and then maybe it'll be normal. Numbers chapter 33, verse 1. And here are the stages in the journey of Israel when they came up out of Egypt by division under the leadership of Moses and Aaron. At the Lord's command, Moses, com sorry, the Lord's command, Moses recorded the stages in their journey, and this is the journey by stages. Everybody say stages. For the next few times that I'm going to speak, I want to talk about stages because stages in the Bible are really important. Every stage in Hebrews chapter 12, it says this, therefore, in light of the fact that we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, I want you to throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles, and run the race with perseverance. Watch this. The race that has been marked out for you. Stages. And God commands Moses, I want you to record the stages of the journey of my people as you lead them. And the next few times I speak, I want to talk about the stages of the church going forward. Amen? Because we need to have markers. We need to know where we're getting to. And in a race, in a, in a, in a race, you can actually, runners can see they've passed the mile mark. They've passed this mark. And in the race that we're in, it's so important that we have markers so that we can see not only how far we've come, but we can see where we are and we can see where we're going. Amen? If you can turn to 2 Kings, this is going to be our text today, 2 Kings. I'm going to read it fast, 2 Kings this is a fascinating story. I'm going to read it in just a moment. But uh, uh, just before we go, some of you may remember, before I go into this scripture, some of you may remember, um, I told a story about how every time I get on an airplane, before I kiss Fee goodbye, she always goes through a list of the things that I need to make sure that I have remembered. Things like a toothbrush and toothpaste, underpants, socks. And I'm just like, I, you know, I'm 44 years old. I... I'm not four. And she says, do you have your green card? Do you have your passport? I'm like, yes, yes, yes. I do this every month. I, of course I have all those things. And I got to O'Hare and I was with a friend and we, we went to the check-in and, and uh, the lady at the check-in began to laugh. And I said, what's funny? She said, this doesn't look like you. And she turned it around and it was Fee's passport. 
Well, we're about an hour and a half away because the person that I was traveling with likes to cut it really, really fine. And you meant to have at least two hours before an international flight. Well, we only had an hour and 15 minutes. And uh, so I'm like, okay. I, I, I said, I need to call my wife. So I called Fee. She said, I told you. I said, no, no, no. It's just, I just, what, just whatever. Can you come and bring me my passport? So she drove all the way to O'Hare from our house. And I met her outside and we switched passports. Then I ran in and I was able to get an hour, a flight an hour later. But Fee said, listen, there was so much traffic on 90. I need to get home. I'm not even sure how I'm going to do this um, because it's just, which, which way should I go? And I said, well, just put it into your GPS on your phone, and it will tell you how to get back the quickest way. So she did, and I've now gone through security with my passport and with my green card. She had hers, and she's still sitting at O'Hare, and she calls me and says the GPS isn't working. And I said, Hunt, Make sure the GPS is on, and the first thing that will happen when you turn on a GPS, it will find you right where you're at. Now, I'm going to just give seven things. You may have heard these, heard these before, but there's seven things that a global positioning system will show you. But interestingly enough, a God positioning system will also show you. And number one, God will always find you wherever you're at. And before I preach this message this morning about stages, I want you to know that God is going to find you in the pages of this story wherever you're at. The second thing is the GPS will only kick in when you start moving. It will only begin to speak once you actually start moving. And Fee said, I can see the address, but it's not speaking yet. It will only speak home when you start pulling out. And as she pulled out in her car, then the voice started to speak. Go 100 feet, then turn left. The second thing about God's positioning system is not only, number one, will it find you wherever you're at, but number two, it will only speak when you start moving. Number three, it will always find you a route. Number four, it will stay quiet till it's time to turn. And sometimes if you're on a long journey, it can be hours and hours and hours. Like last week, we drove to St. Louis. Two of us got up at 5 o'clock in the morning and drove straight down there, got for there for the 10 o'clock meeting. I preached, had lunch, turned around, drove five hours straight back. The GPS didn't speak for like four hours. Why? Because I was en route. Sometimes when the God doesn't say anything because what the last thing he already said to you is enough to get you to your destination. Really important. If God's not speaking, perhaps it's just a matter of going back to the very last thing that he said. So number five, um, if you make a mistake, it will find you a route. Number six, it will always get you to your destination. I missed that one, didn't I? No, you weren't even counting. So so I think the number third one, it will never ask you where you've been. Isn't that great? The GPS will never ask you, hey, where have you been? What have you been doing? When God, God, the, God's positioning system kicks in, it never, God never says, where have you been? He already knows where you've been. He may ask you where you are. That's what he asked Adam. Adam, where are you? But God already knows where you've been. If you can turn to 2 Kings, we're going to jump straight into this story. And I'm going to read it. And if it takes... Um, more than one Sunday to do it, we'll stay on this together because I believe there's so much in here that's really important, not only for where we're at, but also for where we're going. Jeremy and I, we just went to spend a day and a night away together this week just to, to think and strategize and talk about where the church is at and uh, where we're going. And uh, this week, I just felt then to, this, this leapt again in my spirit 
And I want to read it to you this morning. 2 Kings chapter 4 and verse 1. One day, Elisha, everybody say Elisha, talking about Elisha today, went to Shunem and a well-to-do woman was there who urged him to stay for a meal. So whenever he came, he stopped there to eat. And she said to her husband, I know that this man who often comes our way is a holy man of God. Let's make a small room on the roof and put in it a bed and a table and a chair and a lamp for him. Then he can stay there whenever he comes to us. One day, Elisha came and went up to his room and he lay down there. He said to his servant, Gehazi, call in the Shunammite. So he called her and she stood before him. Elisha said to him, tell her, you, you have gone to all this trouble for us. Now what can be done for you? Can we speak on your behalf to the king or to the commander of the army? And she replied, I have a home amongst my own people. What then can be done for, to her? I, Elisha asked Gehazi. Gehazi, his assistant, said, well, she has no son and her husband is old. Then Elisha said, call her. So he called her, and she stood in the doorway. Everyone say doorway. About this time next year, Elisha says, you will hold a child in your arms. She replied, oh, no, Lord. She objected, don't mislead your servant, O man of God. But the woman became pregnant, and in the next year, about that same time, she gave birth to a son, just as Elisha had said. This is a a powerful story. It's an interesting story. It's first of all of a story that we don't know her name. All we know is she was a Shunammite woman. We know that she was well-to-do. We know that she had money, and we know that she had an appreciation and a value for the presence of God. So much so that she said to her husband, let's make room for the presence of God. Of course, in the Old Testament, that you had to go through a priest, or there was a man of God, or a prophet. The great news is about the New Testament is that now God never got rid of the priesthood. He just made us all priests. So now we, can, we all have access into the Holy of Holies. Now we can come boldly before his throne of grace. Isn't that good? That's why the gospel is such good news, because of the finished work of the cross. So instead of going to a person and going, the, 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 the curtain has been torn in two so that we can come boldly before his throne of grace. So this woman was godly. This woman had a value and an appreciation for the presence of God. And she said to her husband, let's make some room. And in this room, she put a table and she put a lamp and she put a bed. The bed is a, the bed is a place of relaxation. The table is a place of preparation. And the lamp is a place of revelation. So in, when, we're, when we're making room for God, it's so important that, we, that we, we find a place, we find time, we find space in our life where we can study, a place where we can get revelation, a place where we can rest in his presence. Amen? So this is what she did. And this man, Elisha, this prophet of God, says to Gehazi, his assistant, this woman has been good to us. What can we do for her? And some of you in this room this morning know and I, I just feel this, just in preparing this week, that you've been good to the Lord. You've, you've made room for God. You've, you've laid down some stuff. And the Lord today is asking, hey, what can I do for you? And her response is, I, I, I don't need anything. Her response is, no, I, I have a home amongst my own people. I don't need you to put in a good word for the commander. I don't need you to put in a good word for me, for the king. I'm at peace. I just value the presence of God and I value you. 
and I've made space. You don't owe me anything. And Elisha says to his assistant, what does she need? And Gehazi says, well, she doesn't have a child. And he prophesies over her, and he says, you will have a child. And she says, no, my Lord, please, as you'll see in this story unfolds, please don't promise me these things. Please, another translation, in fact, we'll read it today in a minute. Don't get my hopes up. Anyone ever been like that? You ever heard a prophetic word and it sounds so great and you're like, no, please, don't get my hopes up, please. I don't know if I can hear another prophetic word. I don't know if I can hear another promise. I, 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 I'm fragile. I just want God. I just made room. I just, you don't owe me anything. You don't have to do anything for me, God. I, I just love you. And God says, you've been good to me. What can I do for you? And Elisha looks straight into her heart and pulls out on hearing from Gehazi, which is, uh, what some theologians say is a picture of the Holy Spirit. And says, what, what does she need? What does she want? What's the deep desires of her heart? And the deep desire of her own heart was to have a child, even though she never said it. And Elisha calls it out of her and says, you're going to have a child. And that time next year, even though she said, no, my Lord, please don't get my hopes up. Oh, no, my Lord, please don't say these things. Don't mess with my head. Don't mess with my emotions. A year later, she gives birth. I want to follow this lady's journey this morning and the time that we've got left. And there's three stages, everyone say stages, to her journey. And the first, we just read it, and it's the doorway. It's when she has an encounter with God through the prophet Elisha when she stood in the doorway. We can read it right here. We just read it um, in verse 13, verse 15. Elisha said, call her. So he called her, and she stood in the doorway. She stood in the doorway. When she was stood in the doorway, that is where God spoke. And you know, there's times, church, that you could, if you think about it this morning, you'll look back through the history in your own journey, look back through the stages, and you'll remember doorways in your life. Doorways are places of transition. So often God speaks to us in those places of transition. And it's in that doorway that you can remember God promised you something. It was in the doorway that God spoke to her and said, you, this time next year, are going to have a child. The second the second stage was the hallway. We're going to look at that in a moment, that she went into a hallway. So often, straight after we have doorway experiences, we go into a hallway. But you know, even in a building, there's hallways, and hallways take us from one doorway to the next doorway. If you remember being at school, the classroom, do you remember going, going in the hallway? There's rules in navigating the hallways. Do you remember that? Anyone remember school? Yeah? Here's three, here's, three, here's three rules that I remember. Number one, you can't take your bags in the hallway. Even in the high schools here, they have lockers. You have to put your stuff in the locker. Why? Because otherwise they can damage other people. They can cause other people to trip up. They're too heavy laden for you to carry. In order to navigate the hallways of life, it's really important that we check our baggage. And so often when we don't check our baggage, we display it for everybody else to see, and our baggage actually ends up slowing other people down. But God wants us to move through the hallways of life. He wants to, us to move through the doorways of life, and he wants us to move quickly. And the third, as we're going to get to in a minute, is the gateway. And you see in this story that not only was there a doorway, but there was a hallway, and then it ends with this great gateway. So let's just jo jump to... to uh, just jump in here, and he wants, so he blesses her, and he gives her this promise, and then she, he talks her in the doorway in 15 and 16, as we've just read, don't mislead me, please don't get my helps up. In the NLT, it says, please, my Lord, she says to Elijah, please, my Lord, don't get my hopes up. Please don't get my hopes up. 
Can anyone relate to that? Just, uh, I don't know about this. I've known too many people that have died when they've been prayed for, for, for healing. And I heard Taya's uh, uh, testimony today, and that's so good, but I could tell you a whole people, bunch of people that didn't get healed. Do you know it's okay? That's a real response. And I've talked about this before, about two trees in the garden. It's okay to, to stand at the why. It's okay to ask questions why. What's not okay is to stay in the why. Because when God closes one door, he opens another. And it's so easy just to spend our whole life standing at a why. Why did this happen? Why didn't this happen? Why didn't God come through? Why this, this? Why, why is this? And people shipwreck their faith right there because they refuse to move on and look at all the other options and the, all the other doors and gates that are being opened rather than just standing at the why. And so often it's much better to conclude, I don't know why. In fact, the only thing I really know for sure is that I really don't know. And I'm actually okay with that because I refuse to charge God with wrongdoing. I refuse to be intellectually offended at God. And I'm just going to say, I'm going to move on. And I'm not going to blame things. I'm not going to blame people. I'm not going to blame my past. I'm just going to stay here just for a second. But um, if we have true the love of God on us, love is. Everyone say love is. Love does. I was reading it this morning early the, what the, about what it says, the list of what love is. Love is patient. Love is kind. Love is not rude. Love is not easily angered. Love does not keep a record of when it be, has been wrong. Love always trusts. Love always perseveres. Listen, I'm just going to say this because this was probably one of the most kairos moments in my life. It was, it was, a, it was a tragic story, and, uh, and the, the consequences were horrible. And I said, Lord, why didn't I see this situation earlier on? And the Lord said, I'm going to show you a principle that you'll remember for the rest of your life. And he said this. He who's been forgiven much loves much. Stay with me. He who's been forgiven much loves much. Much. So the result of being forgiven is much love. That means there's much patience, much kindness, much politeness because it's the opposite of being rude. There's, there's zero um, record of being wronged. Why? Because I have our love on. But he who's been forgiven, everyone say forgiven, much loves much. If you don't repent, you can't be forgiven. If, you don't, if you're not forgiven, you don't love much. So to have, to live a life full of the love of God, it starts with repentance, which is a recognition of wrongdoing, a remorse and a redirection. I'm wrong. I'm just wrong. Will you please forgive me? And then the result of being forgiven is you get, you get forgiven much. The result of being forgiven much is that you love much. And the Lord said this to me. He said, son, always look for the hallmarks of my love. Because much love will look like much patience, much kindness, much politeness. It's not easily angered. It's not, it always trusts. It always perseveres. Can I just, I want to share that with you this morning because it will help you and it will help relationships and it will help other people. It really works. He who's been forgiven much loves much. But you can't be forgiven much until you repent much. And some of you this morning, like that GPS, God just wants to find you and say, hey, that's you. Oh, yeah, it's a, I, know, I know who this is for, this word. It's a good word for someone else. What about you? What about you? It's not just for our friends who aren't here this morning. But what about you? It's like, God, forgive me. Let that GPS find you where you're at. 
God's not interested in where you've come from. He already knows where you've been. But say, God, that's me. And he wants to speak and gives you a new GPS. He wants you to give you new coordinates today. He's a faithful God. He'll speak something in a, in a doorway moment. But then we go into a hallway, and sometimes our hallways are so long. Let's talk about hallways for a moment. Hallways. First of all, how you receive the promise in the doorway will determine the journey in the hallway. It's really important that we receive what God has said in the doorways of life because it will determine how we navigate the hallways of life. So this whole thing of hallways, hallways always Doorways lead to hallways. Some are short, some are long, some are really, really long. But this story goes on and tragedy hits in the hallway. This is why she didn't want to go in the hallway. <laughs> Sometimes we don't want to go into the hallways of life because I'm not so sure. I think I'll just stay here in the doorway. The doorway's safe. I'll just keep this promise. But, door, but doorways lead to hallways. You have to go through the hallways of life. So often we love the promise, but we don't like the process. But God is committed to a process, and what he's committed to, church, is for Christ being fully formed in us. Paul, the apostle Paul says, I make it my goal to see Christ fully formed in you. And when Christ is fully formed in us, that's when the church will, the trumpet will sound. That's where the skies will open up. That's when the king of glory will return. Because he's coming back for a bride that is, is beautiful, a bride who's made herself ready. He's coming back for a body that is fitly joined together, an army that is, is walking in, in, in instruction with the commander-in-chief, which is Jesus Christ. So God cares about these details. And he cares about how we navigate these hallways. Um, I'm going I'm to move. Um, Here's three rules for, for, for the... Uh, for the for the hallways. Number one, there's no bags in the hallway. That's why, as I just said, we have lockers. That's why in England, I think we call them cubbies. And you have a little cubby and you have to put your bags in the cubby. The first thing you do when you get to school, you've got to put your baggage in the cubby. No baggage in the hallway. Leave it in the locker until God says it's time to speak about it. So often we just talk about our junk. We talk about our, our baggage. We talk about our stuff and it becomes our identity. But there's a time just to put it in a cubby and say, I'm going to leave this here until God wants to talk to me about it. But in the meantime, I've got to get from this doorway to the next doorway. I've got to get from one stage to the next. I've got to move from one marker to the next marker. Why? Because I have a destiny to live. I was talking to a man this last week who doesn't know the Lord. And I said, so, so I was buying and selling something. And I, I said, so why are you selling it? And he went, well, it's been a good life, Dan. The time has gone. I was like, why? What's going on? He started talking about his health. And he said, I'm coming to the end now. I'm going to die soon. I'm like, wow, how depressing. He didn't know the Lord, but he just said, you know, I, but he was like, man, I, he has, there's no hope at the end. It's like. He's like, these, he who dies with the most toys wins. It's like, no, he who dies with the most toys still dies. <laughs> he who dies, Christ wins. But, there's, there's, but church, we have a hope. When, when our heart stops, we go straight into the beginning of eternity. <laughs> awesome. That's why to live is Christ, to die is gain. 
To be absent from the body, Paul says, is to be present with the Lord. Hey, it's a win-win. Right? Okay. So, no baggage in the hallways. Let me just read this in verse 18. Gosh, I've got to go. Um, verse 18. Verse 18. So that time next year, the, time, the following year, she gave birth to a child and held her in her arms. Verse 18. The child grew up and one day went out to his father who was with the reapers. My head, my head, the child said to his father. His father said to the servant, carry him to his mother. And after the servant had lifted him up and carried him to his mother, the boy sat on her lap until noon and then he died. What? Wait, What? What? So this little boy grows up, and he goes out to be with his dad, working in the fields, and he says, ah, my head, my head. And his dad goes, go and be with your mum. So he takes, his, takes it off with his servant, gets home, sits on his mum's knee, and she's nursing her boy back to health, and then at noon he dies. What? This is a, this is a, this is a crazy story. Do you want to keep reading? Oh, maybe not. So now he's dead. The second rule for navigating the hallways of life is there's no talking in the hallway. Do you remember that? No talking in the hallway. When you're going from one classroom to the next classroom, you're not allowed to talk. You're not allowed to mess around. You're not allowed to have any baggage with you. You've just got to move quickly to the next doorway to get so that the door can open and you can go to your destiny, which is a classroom, so you can learn, right? So there are rules in navigating the hallways. The first is no baggage. The second is there's no hallways. So let's read this sort of talking. Thank you. Work with me. Keep, keep, keep me going. Um, verse 21. Verse 21. She went up, because this is, this, is this is what the mom did, right? She went up and laid him on the bed of the man of God and shut the door and went out. You know when Jesus says, taught, teaches us to pray, he says, when you pray, shut the door and go to your father in secret. There's so much in here. But when you're just in a place of tragedy, imagine this mum for a moment, this mum that never asked for a baby. But the prophet of God said, you're going to have a baby. And she's in a hallway and she says, no, 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 no. Don't get my hopes up. I never asked for this. And he says, don't worry. This time next year, you're going to have a baby. The boy, baby grows up, goes out into the field, bangs his head, and then he dies at lunchtime on his mother's lap. And she does what? She takes him into a room and she closes the door. Silence. When you close the door, you say, I don't want any other voices. I'm not going to, I can't just hear any voice right now. I can't freak out. You know, there's IQ, there's EQ, and there's another thing called AQ. And AQ is for how adjustable you are to pressure. You know, I go on airplanes a lot, and sometimes you can feel the the plane dropped 10, 15, 20 feet, boom, like in an air pocket. And people are just freaking out, white knuckles. Ah, people who don't like to fly, we're going to die, we're going to die. And normally I don't look up because I'm kind of used to it, and those things don't really freak me out. But if I am, if, I, if I'm at all alarmed, like all the, the overhead bins start opening and there's noises like, eh, 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 then I might look up. But the only person I'm really interested in looking at is the flight attendants. Because if they're freaked out, then I might be a little bit freaked out. But if they're cool, now they're trained to have good AQ, to, be, to learn how to handle stress. 
But you can only hold on so much. If they know this is a problem, then they're not going to be able to hold it in that good. But in life, I see this with this woman of God, this woman that starts out just honoring the presence of God. She didn't want anything, but somehow God drew something through the prophet, a great desire of her heart. And now this baby that's grown up, her little boy, the only boy that she has, is dead, and she closes the door. She shuts the door. And this is what happened. She shuts the door and she went out. She called her husband and said, please send me one of the servants and a donkey so I can go to the man of God quickly and return. This is the husband's response. Why go to him today? Because he's dead. That's why. Anyway, why go to him today? He asked. It's not new moon or the Sabbath. This is her response. It's all right, she said. It's all right. This is a seriously cool chick. She's got her cool. She is just okay. It's okay, she said. She saddled the donkey and said to her servant, lead on, don't slow down unless I tell you. So he set out and came to the man of God at Mount Caramel. This is a woman that could deal with pressure. She puts, she puts the boy on a bed and she closes the door. Then she gets on a camel and says to her servant, let's get going. She doesn't go on Facebook, doesn't go on Twitter, doesn't go on Snapchat, doesn't go on Instagram. She's just, let's go. Let's take the problem to the person that gave me the promise. And don't you stop until we get there. Don't open the door. Leave my son on the bed. Leave him there with the door closed. I don't want any drama. I don't want, this is a tragedy. I don't know why it happened, but I do know this. It was God that gave me this promise. Now I have a problem. I'm going to take it back to the promise. I'm going to take it back to God. And I'm going to do it right here, right now. And if everybody else is, just doesn't understand, that's okay. We're doing it and we're moving and we're moving right now. This is drama-free living. This is a woman that starts out just, she just wanted to make some room in her house for the presence of God. And now she's moving and I'm nearly finished. See, while you're displaying your baggage, you're delaying your destiny. I said again, as long as we're displaying our baggage, we're delaying our destiny. And church, can I just, I, I just want to say this, you know, the spirit of the Lord is upon us because he has anointed us to preach good news to the poor, to bind up the brokenhearted, to comfort those who mourn and for those who grieve in Zion. That's what the spirit of the sovereign Lord is upon us and with us and will never leave us to do that. We need to know that. But it's really important that we keep moving forward that we keep moving forward, that we, we, that we keep moving forward, that we remember the stages. There's another stage. We've got to get to the another stage. And in this, in this story, this next stage is, I've got to get to the man of God. Remember, we're now under a new and a better covenant. It's not just getting to the man of God. It's getting to God. We all have access to God. We all have access to the throne. Amen? Everybody doing okay? I know, I know time is gone, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to wrap this up really quickly. And, whew, but church, there's, there's something powerful here that we can, we can learn. I think I've shared this story before, but there were two twins, and their father was an alcoholic. And they were interviewed many years later when they'd grown up, and one of them was an alcoholic and one of them wasn't. And the interviewer said, could you tell me why you're an alcoholic? And the first twin said, because my dad was an alcoholic. And they asked the second twin, could I ask you why you're not an alcoholic and you've never touched alcohol? To which he said, because my father was an alcoholic. See, there comes a point where we can choose. We can choose to 
blame other people. We can blame our past. We can blame those who say, no, I need to take responsibility for myself. I myself have doorways, promises. I myself have to go through hallways. This was a godly woman. This was a good woman. And here she is going through the journey of life. I'm gonna, you can read the story for yourself, but she gets to the man of God. She gets to Elisha, and she grabs him by the foot, and, and, and um, Gehazi pushes her away and says, don't touch the man of God. And Elisha looks at, at the Shunammite woman, and he says, don't push her away. Let her come to me. He says, this woman is in distress. And as she stood there, as she, she says this to Gehazi, um, when she reached the man of God at the mountain, she took hold of his feet and Gehazi came over and pushed her away. But the man of God said, leave her alone for she is in bitter distress. But the Lord has hidden from me and, I, and, and has not told me why. Did I ask you, did I say to you about my Lord that I did not want a son? Did I not tell you, don't raise my hopes? This woman's mad now. This woman that never even asked for a baby now is fighting. Hey, did I not say this would happen? Did I not even ask for a child? Did I not even ask for a prophetic word? Did I not even ask for this calling? Now look what's happened. Gehazi says, sorry, Elisha says to Gehazi, take my staff and run ahead. Do not stop. If anyone wants to speak to you, ignore them. And get to this boy and put the staff on him. And Gehazi goes and does it. And the, and, but the boy doesn't come back to life. And Elisha takes his time and he gets there. Many of you know the story, but he lies on the child and breathes on the child. And this heat from his body goes into the child. And the child sneezes seven times and comes back to life. And then Elisha says, to the Shunammite woman, you need to go because the Lord has told me that there's going to be a famine in the land for seven years. You need to leave your home here. You need to leave your people and go to a far off land. And for seven years, she takes her husband and her child and she goes away. And she lives as a, as a foreigner. And then this story concludes a few chapters later in 2 Kings chapter 8. And it says, at the end of the seven years, she came back to the land of the Philistines and to go back to her homeland. And I'm going to just tell the story for the sake of time. But this is what happens. The king is having a conversation. Listen to this. This is so amazing. The king is having a conversation with Gehazi, Elisha's servant, back in the land that she left seven years before. And as they're having this conversation, Gehazi is telling the king of the whole land about the prophet Elisha. And the king says, tell me about this prophet Elisha. What's he like? And she said, well, one time there was a young boy, the child of a Shunammite woman, and he died. Well, well something happened with his head. He banged his head and, and he died. And she ran to the prophet Elisha and Elisha came and raised the boy back to life again. And the king is going, that's amazing. And they have stood at the gateway. Everyone say gateway. They stood at the gateway of the city having this conversation, Gehazi and the king. And just at that moment, just at the moment as they're coming into the city gates, this Shunammite woman with her husband and her son are walking through the gates as they're having this conversation. And Gehazi went, no way. There she is right now, seven years later. What? 
just at that moment. And so Gehazi says, hey, there she is. And the king says, where, who is? That woman I was just been telling you about. That's the suit of my woman? Yeah, and that's her husband, and that's her child. And he says, bring them to me. And so she comes up, and I'm, I'm almost done. And this is what the king said. Gehazi says, this is the woman, my lord and king. And this is her, her son, whom Elisha restored to life. Then the king asked the woman about it, and she told him. Then he assigned an official to her case and said to her, Give back everything that belongs to her, including all the income from her land from the day she left until now. What an amazing story. See, we often start with a gateway, then we go. So we start with a doorway, then we go through the hallway, but we end in a gateway. And church, I want to encourage you, sometimes in life, we just don't know what's going on. What on earth was all that about? And maybe it's the cynic in me, the English cynic, but sometimes I'm like, yeah, it's a kind of a great story, but why did it all have to happen? And so often, we just don't know those answers. And church, I want to encourage you this morning that whether whichever one of those stages that this woman went, you have probably either been through You're either in or you're going to go through it sometime in your life. And I want to pray this morning and just finish this morning and allow Holy Spirit to seal something and do something in us. To find us like that GPS system right wherever we are at. Maybe it's because we're not moving. And we've we've, we've shared the Lord what, what our coordinates are, but He's not speaking. Maybe it's just you need to start moving. Maybe it's being scared of moving out of the doorway of life into a hallway because you just don't want tragedy to strike the other thing is there's no loitering in the hallways you're not allowed to hang around in the hallways you know the word loitering means to move slowly in an idle manner making purposeless stops in the course of a journey when you stop listen when you stop when you loiter in a hallway you break the flow of everybody else behind you you must keep moving you know, I say this to, to leaders a lot. If, it, it, you know, if you stop at a green light, a person stops at a green light, you can gridlock a city. If a leader stops at a green light, he can gridlock a church. Move. Keep moving. Keep moving. God's people are on the move. We've got to keep moving or move out of the way so that the whole thing can keep moving. So we're going to end right here, right now. Amen. Praise God. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. I know I'm seven minutes over, but seven's the number of completion. And eight is the number of new beginnings. So we can start all over again in 60 seconds. No, no, I wouldn't. But if you are in a doorway, you're in a hallway, or you're in a gateway, if you're in any of those three stages, I want you to stand to your feet. I'm going to pray for you. Just stand to your feet. If you're in a gateway, you're in a hallway, You're in a doorway. Some of you, you've known, you've had, God's promised you something. God's spoken to you. But you're in a hallway. It doesn't necessarily mean you're in a tragedy. Just close your eyes for a moment. I want to encourage you, just lift your hands to the Lord. Thank you, God. Oh. You know, I love the story of Joseph 
that has this amazing dream. He has this amazing doorway. You can keep your eyes closed. He has this amazing doorway encounter with God that he has a dream and his brothers are going to bow down to him. And that dream takes him to a pit, then to a prison, and then into a palace. He has a promise, but the process is long. The hallway is long, but then he ends up in a palace in second in command. And one day there's a famine in the land and the nations, the countries come to Egypt and there's Joseph stood before his brothers and they don't recognize it's him. And if you read it, it says, Joseph wept so loud that everybody in the palace heard it. And then he stands before his brothers. You just imagine for a moment, he's looking at his brothers, the ones that tried to kill him. And with love in his eyes, he says, it's me, it's Joseph. I'm your brother. And they're petrified. But in this moment, he realizes this is it. This is that. This is the fulfillment of the dream. Our brothers are now bowing right down before me, right here, right now. This is it. This is the dream. But the process after the promise was so long. It was so painful. And yet here I am. Church, I want to tell you this morning that however long the process may be, if God promised it in a doorway, you will reach a gateway. And it may not all make sense. But what I do promise you promise you is this, that when you come through the other side, Christ would have been formed in you a little bit more. You will be a little bit more like him because it's in those testings of life, it's in the pressure of life that man is formed, that Christ is formed. So Father, right now, I thank you for everybody in this room. I thank you for every doorway. I thank you for every promise that you've given everybody in this room, whether it be a dream, whether it be a scripture, whether it was an encounter with you, whether it was just a a simple word that you promised, whether it was a dream, whether it was a vision, whether it was just a desire that, that, that that we know that you put into our heart. God, I just thank you for that doorway promise. And Lord, today I ask that, that, that there would be a confidence and a boldness to step out of the doorway into the hallway. And I just speak to all fear. As Jamie prayed today, that fear would be dispelled. That fear that is not our friend would be cast out. That we would face the fear and say, I'm stepping into the hallway, even if the deep desire of our heart is, Lord, please, I don't know if I can take another disappointment. Lord, please, don't get my hopes up. That we just trust you today, God. We trust you with the doorway. We trust you with the hallway. We trust you when somebody or something has slowed us down. And Lord, we just vow today, we are not going to set our house up in a hallway. We're not going to make permanent decisions in the midst of temporary circumstances. That we recognize the hallway is a place of transition. It is not a place of inhabitation. And we're not going to stay. We're not going to stop. We're not going to be idle. We're going to keep on moving. And Lord, for the gateway, for those of us who conclude so often in life, I don't know what all of that was about. I don't know what that purpose was for that for that detour. I don't know what the purpose was for that season, but God, today, I refuse, and some of you need to just speak this to the Lord. Today, God, in the question why, 
I choose to trust you. Today, God, today I choose to say, Lord, I'm going to praise you. I'm going to worship you. I'm not going to charge you with wrongdoing. I'm not going to be intellectually offended at you. I'm just going to trust you that you're good. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Amen. Church, why don't you just go and give somebody a big hug?